Praise the Lord, everybody. So thankful to be in church tonight. Hallelujah. Anybody glad you're in church tonight? My goal in settings such as this, I'm only one man. I can only spread myself so thin. The with a family, the uh, the tiresomeness that comes with travel. I can only be in so many places a year or even in a lifetime. So my goal in a setting like this is to impact the local church. Because there's there's representation here of several local churches. And so I want to I want to drop something into the spirit of the local churches because um, if if God in a meeting like this can do something in the local churches then you can go home having been touched and spoken to specifically as a local church and you can go home and make a greater impact than you've ever made before and so there are concepts there are principles there are revelations that the Lord has given me and that's where we began last night that I want to transmit into our young people, into our leaders, into our local churches. And you can make an impact. If if the Holy Ghost can make an impact in you through me, then you can go and return and make an impact in your city. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the Lord gave this to me. Um, It's been a while back. It has burgeoned um, over time and I have cut and condensed truncated tried to um, fit this in, in a smaller package to present it but you know it's New Year's Eve and I, the way I see it I got three hours I might as well preach it all tonight praise God <laughs> I slipped up on you there. You weren't expecting that. Praise God. My middle son is scared to death. He said, Dad, only do it if God tells you to do it. Praise God. He said, I, uh, he may say, I said it just like this, but in jest, this is what he, he, he said. I, I'm not daring you to do it. 
said, you don't think I could preach three hours? Praise God. <coughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I, I, I do not mean to be a prophet of pessimism. But I had one of those, oh God, moments today. It's a monumental moment. It's one that I preach from. It's one we've all preached from. It's one I will preach from in the future. It's a very significant moment in Scripture when Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? And we have celebrated the response of Simon Peter. And rightly so. But I had an oh God moment today. When even the disciples of Jesus, the very disciples of Jesus, only one out of twelve spoke up. Only one out of twelve spoke up. Leads me to believe that eleven didn't know who they were. And I think at least Cody Marks' greatest assignment and task in this end time, and I have been feverishly giving myself to this, is trying to convey and reveal to us through the Holy Ghost who we are, our true identity, why we're here, what we're doing here, why we exist. Hallelujah. Praise God. I think those percentages need to be better. That's, that's unacceptable. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm thankful Simon Peter had a revelation. But I want the other 11 to speak up. I want the other 11 to have a revelation. I want, I want the other 11 to have enough confidence. Praise God. And so I'm going to preach tonight. And, and young people, one, one reason I am insistent on being me. I told my wife today, I said, I just don't. I fret and worry because I don't don't know if I'm cut out for youth ministry anymore. But this is the way I'm going to look at it. I want to I want to stretch you. I want you to see yourself in a in in the bigger picture and scheme of things. You're not just one person sitting in a small church in a small mountain city. You, you, are a, you are an intricate key piece and part to the eternal puzzle of God's purpose. And that's, that's what I'm here for, to stretch your vision, to show you the bigger picture. I want you to see outside of the box. Hallelujah. I want to break you out of any kind of false ideologies of four and no more. God's got bigger things. God wants to do things locally. That expands our vision globally. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'll read and let you be seated. John chapter number 11. Someone rudely let me know the other day that I wasn't being paid by the hour. Praise God. They, they were picking, but John chapter number 11. I give honor to these men. These leaders, I give honor to 
the man that I'm teamed up with this week and what a fantastic job he did today. He just outdid himself and uh, I appreciate the purity of his spirit. Verbal Bean made a statement one time. He said, he said, I like T-bone steak. He said, I just don't want to be slapped in the face with it. And there's a lot of good food and there's a lot of things that we need to hear. But a lot of times our ability to receive it is dependent on how the man, not, not only how he's prepared it, but how he feeds it to us. And, and when a man stands up here, and, and he may have been nervous, but the trembling in his lip, and, and that, that's, that wasn't nerves. That's brokenness. That's brokenness. And I appreciate that, and it's a breath of fresh air. And, and thank you, Brother Uzzle, for being the man that you are. Praise God. John chapter number 11. We'll read one small verse tucked in. And then I'll let you be seated and we'll proceed forward. Let's read verse number 18. John chapter number 11 and verse number 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem. About 15 furlongs off. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. I'd like to use a phrase from this verse tonight as a subject title, a launching pad for where I feel the Spirit has directed me to take us tonight. I'd like to preach to us tonight for a little while on the subject nigh unto Jerusalem nigh unto Jerusalem close but not close enough almost but not quite Did you hear what I just said Almost, but not quite. Near, all these are things I could have used for titles today. Near, but not there. Near, 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 but not there. And I feel like that we are nearer than we've ever been before. But we're not there. We're not there. And I believe the Lord has given me some, some understanding as to why we are not there. And I believe the Lord has given me some understanding why there are people that have settled to live near Jerusalem. I think the Lord's given me some understanding why there's a lot of people that try to build churches in Bethany. Nigh unto Jerusalem. Just 15 furlongs off. Close. Close. But not close enough. I don't want to be within 15 furlongs of Jerusalem and not get to Jerusalem. 
Because there's coming an outpouring by the elder. And the outpouring is not coming 15 furlongs from Jerusalem. There's coming a promise. The Father has given a promise. And there is coming a downpour. There is coming the fulfillment of prophecy. But it's not coming to Bethany. I don't care how close Bethany is to Jerusalem. It's just fir- it's just 15 furlongs away. It's nigh unto Jerusalem. There is a visitation coming. But it's not coming to Bethany. As close as Bethany is. It's just 15 furlongs off. It's close. It's near. But it's not near enough. We got to get to Jerusalem. We got to get to Jerusalem. We've got to get to Jerusalem. If I have a fear, my fear is to be almost apostolic. It's my, if, if I have a fear, one of my greatest fears is to be almost apostolic. But ladies and gentlemen, there's no, there is no such thing as being almost apostolic. You are either all the way apostolic or you're not apostolic at all. Hallelujah. I don't want to just be apostolic in doctrine. I want to be apostolic in spirit. I want to be apostolic in attitude. I want to be apostolic in sacrifice. I want to be apostolic in prayer. I want to be ap- I want to be apostolic in evangelism. I want to be apostolic in the gifts of the spirit. I want to be apostolic in separation from the world. 15 furlongs. Nigh unto Jerusalem. Just 15 furlongs off. And I don't think we're that far away. We're close. But I want to show us tonight. What the Holy Ghost has given me. To help us. Shorten that distance. We're we're near. But I pray when we leave the forge. That we're a little nearer. Is that your prayer young people? We're close. Hallelujah. But I want to move from 15 to to 12. Come on. I want to move to 10 and 8 and 7. I want to get, come on. Hallelujah. Give the Lord one more good hand clap of praise. Clap your hands. Shout to the Lord. Give Him praise in this house. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you um, to the worship leaders and teams and musicians. Everything has been perfect. And thank you for ushering us into the presence of the Lord every service. Luke's gospel in chapter number 24 gives my Bible, the particular Bible that I use, is it as it begins to move into the events starting with verse number 44 my Bible gives the heading that what is about to unfold in the next nine verses is Jesus it's his final commission his final commission Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. My Bible titles this as 
the Lord's final commission. Now, anything that is final, I think, is critical. All the words of Jesus are important, but I, I would safely say and surmise, believe, safely surmise tonight that while all of his words are important, last words, last words are important. It's the last thing that we hear from him before his ascension. He has already died. He has been resurrected. There are things that have happened during this process, but this is a supernatural moment in which, and stay with me because I'm going to draw from several Gospels, not just the Gospel of Luke, but this is where he leads 500 of his disciples out onto the edges of Bethany for one last commission. 500. There are 500 there that participate in this mystical, miraculous, the sublime supernaturalness of this moment is beyond fathom to the, beyond the fathoming of, of the human mind. Jesus begins to utter the final commissions. His final commissions are words when he begins to speak to them that in verse number 47, that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Here is a key word to what we're preaching tonight. Beginning at Jerusalem. That is very important. Beginning at Jerusalem. Now he's got 500 there at Bethany. This is his final commission. 500 of his disciples. This is his last appearance before his ascension. This is the last time that we see him in his embodiment, the flesh of God. This is it. And he's telling them, he said, something is coming. Something is about to happen. But I want you to notice what he does not say. He does not say that it will begin in Bethany. He said the preaching of repentance and the remission of sins in the name of Jesus shall begin in Jerusalem. He said, and ye are to be witnesses of these things. I want you to notice that he does not choose one secluded part of this 500. He speaks to them collectively. He speaks to the majority. He is speaking to every one of the 500 witnesses. He's telling them, I am going to begin something in Jerusalem. And my purpose and intention is that every one of you are there and a part of it. That every one of you are there. Come on. Every one of you are there and a part of it. Every one of you are there praying and fasting and forgiving and worshiping and praising God. Every one of you, I want everyone. That's key. Shout everyone. He said, you're to witness this. He didn't take one part. This wasn't a moment, Brother Keith, in which he takes his inner circle on top of a mountain. This had nothing to do with 
Peter, James, and John. This is not a moment in which they go on a mountain and there's a transfiguration and they have a visitation from the prophet and from Moses. No, he is speaking to the entirety, the totality of all 500 of these people. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. He said, there in Jerusalem, I am going to begin a work. I am going to begin something. And I intend for all of you to be a part of it. He said, I'll send the promise of my father upon you. He said, tarry ye into the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We find later from another place in scripture the purpose of the the endowment of this power. The purpose of this power was that they could leave under the influence of this power and that they would become witnesses. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he leads them, the Bible says, as far as Bethany. And he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. And the Bible goes on to tell us that as he blesses them, something begins to happen never before and never again witnessed by mankind. These 500 witnesses stand there and the Bible says that they watch as Jesus Christ slowly begins to levitate from the ground. The law of gravity has no power over him at this point. Come on, Brother Freeze, he begins to levitate there. They watch as he not only levitates above the ground, but they watch as he ascends. Come on, up into the heavens. I go to prepare a place for you. Praise God. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. Praise God. Hallelujah. When you get to Jerusalem, all of you are going to witness the outpouring of my spirit. All of you are going to witness, come on, the power, the the endowment of my power upon all of you. Hallelujah. I'm going to show you some stuff here tonight. Come on, young people, help the preacher. Stay with me. Come on, this is not this is not too big for you to understand. Come on, this is not te- too deep for you to grasp. Stay with me here for a few moments. What a miraculous moment. We know from another gospel writer that apparently it was so miraculous that the Bible says that they were captivated, enthralled, in this moment to the point that the Bible says that the angels of the Lord came to them and say, why stand ye here gazing into the heavens? He's gone. This moment is over. Did he not tell you to go to Jerusalem and tarry there for the coming of the promise? Praise God. Hallelujah. Shaking them. There's nobody in this building that loves, come on, the mystical, the miraculous any more than I do. I don't want you to leave this meeting and say, Brother Marks doesn't believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. But I'm telling you, I am seeing a trend in the apostolic movement where people are so captivated. They are so entrenched. Come on, in what God can do that they have forgotten what God has said. There is more to this than just what God does. Come on, there is more to this than just the glow. 
Hallelujah. I'm all about the glow. I'm all about people getting the Holy Ghost. I'm all about people being healed. But ladies and gentlemen, they can't get the Holy Ghost and they can't be healed if somebody don't go get them. If somebody... Hallelujah. There's a lot of people that are captivated by the glow. There's a lot of people, come on now, they live for the glow. They live for the next prophecy. They live for the next tongues and interpretation. Nigh, I come to preach to you about being nigh unto Jerusalem. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Praise God. But I'm telling you what Jesus told me to tell the apostolic church. We don't need another prophecy. Come on. We don't need another tongues and interpretation. We need to go. We have have been so close to Jerusalem for so long. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it comes. Come on, God in his mercy. God, God in his mercy. God in his grace comes to us. Coaxing, encouraging. Because he knows that this will begin in Jerusalem. You think about the prophecies. You think about the tongues and interpretation. Come on. It's just another word of prophecy. Come on, beckoning and calling us. Come on, to participate with him in this last day harvest. Nigh unto Jerusalem. Nigh unto Jerusalem. Let's put that on hold for a minute. Let's move on to the book of Acts. They're gathered together just like he said. The Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house. Come on, stay with me. I've only been going 20 minutes. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Set upon each of them. Hallelujah. And they were all. Did he not say, did he not say that you would all witness this? And they were all, all filled with the Holy Ghost. We know it as the birthday to the church. We know it. Come on, praise God. We know it. Come on. It's where we trace our roots. Praise God. It's where we trace our heritage. It's where we trace our genealogy. Come on. We're not just trying to build any church. Come on. That's, that's the original church. Come on. That's, that's the archetype. That's, that's the original, that's the original church. That's who we are. That's where we go back to. That's our roots. And so we celebrate about that. We celebrate. We celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We celebrate the Holy Ghost falling in an upper room. We celebrate. Hallelujah. Some of these people know me better than what you think they know me because they're a little reticent to say anything right now because they think I'm setting them up. No, it's something to celebrate about. I'm telling you, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the day that the Holy Ghost fell in an upper room and they began to speak with tongues. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. But when it's all said and done, As a 35-year-old preacher of the gospel and someone, I don't enjoy taking engines apart. I don't enjoy taking gadgets apart. 
There's always screws left over when I get finished trying to put it back together. Hallelujah. Praise God. But I do enjoy taking things that make the church turn, make the church stall, make the church go, make the church break. I do spend a lot of time. I'm a student of revival taking that apart, trying to figure out what makes it click. What makes it go? What makes it grow? What makes it die? And so, at the risk of sounding pessimistic here tonight, while it is the church's birthday, I do believe that while it was one of the greatest days that the world to that point had ever experienced, at the same time as one of the most tragic days that the world had ever experienced. I don't know what you're thinking. Yep, we got Cody Marks. He's the only thing. He's the only one I know. He's the only preacher I know that can find something negative to say about the day of Pentecost. Well, just ride with me here tonight. Just consider what I've got to say. Praise God. The tragicness of this is when he brought them as far as Bethany, there was 500. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and 2 that there was only 120. While it is the church's birthday, and while we celebrate that birthday, and while we're thankful for these roots and for this heritage, it is very grieving to me, and I believe it is also grievous to the Holy Ghost that only 120 made it to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. 500 got nigh unto Jerusalem. 500 made it to Bethany. Five. 500 made it to Bethany, but only 120 made it to Jerusalem. 500 made it, come on, nigh. 500 made it nigh unto Jerusalem. 500 got 15 furlongs. And so I'm not a mathematician, but those aren't good percentages. What, what is that? 20? Four percent, something, 20, somebody help me. 120 out of 500. 26 percent. Not everybody, don't speak at once. Sixth grade math was the best three years of my life, praise God. 20 something percent. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable when he said all. It's unacceptable when he led 500 as far as Bethany and said all of you are going to witness this. It's unacceptable when 20%. It's unacceptable. We'll just use 20% and you'll forgive me for the leftover because 20% is easy to understand. It's unacceptable when 20% make it all the way to Jerusalem. It's unacceptable when under, when 80% fall through the cracks. It's unacceptable. I'm sorry, but I have trouble celebrating. I have trouble celebrating over 20% that received the promise when 80% fell through the cracks. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the revival Larry Booker's heaven. I'm thankful for the revival Johnny King's had. I'm thankful for the revivals that Johnny Godair's had. I'm thankful for the revivals that Ron Garrett's had. I'm thankful for the revivals that Joel Holmes has had. But ladies and gentlemen, it's hard for me to celebrate over 20-something percent of our churches having revival when 80% are not. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's hard for me to celebrate. Come on. That in the outskirts of Chicago, that Phil Endress is building one of the, probably one of the fastest growing churches in the apostolic movement. Come on. It's hard for me to celebrate with Randy Williams and Nathaniel Urshan and all that's happening down there in Florida. When I go places, too many places, it's upsetting to me. It's not the will of God that 20% of our churches have revival. 20% of our ministries. 20% of our, of our saints. 20% of our young people. 20. Hallelujah. And when the Holy Ghost gave this to me, Brother Uzzle, he said, your assignment for the next year, your assignment is to go into these places. And I want to use you. I want to give you some understanding. I want you to listen to me. And you repeat what I'm saying to my people. Because I want to fix these percentages. Come on. If God cleans ten lepers, there ought to be more than one coming back. Giving glory to God. Hallelujah. If God, if God led them 40 years through a wilderness and finally said, you have to pass this mountain long enough, head northward. If God could bring them as far as the Jordan River, I've come to tell you, it's not the will of God for two half tribes to live on the banks of the Jordan and never possess the promised land. I believe God's got a hundred soul revival for everybody. Whoa. I just slammed up against the wall. I said, I believe God's got a hundred soul revival for everybody. I'll go a step further than that. He said, I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh. That's Cheyenne flesh. That's Pueblo flesh. That's Union City flesh. That's Junction City flesh. All flesh. And so the percentages have to be, they have to be tipped. 20, 20 and 80 is unacceptable. You say, Brother Marks, he started a foundation and he built a church on 20%. Fine, but what could he have done? You say, Brother Marks, apparently he only intended to do it with 20%. Then why did he tell 500 that all of them would witness? I told you, principles, that's what I want to teach you. I'm not interested in just coming here and patting you on the head and scratch you on the back, sending you home and and we have a great meeting. I want to preach stuff into your kids. I want to preach stuff into you as leaders. I want to preach stuff into you as, 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 as men and women and young couples and middle-aged couples that you can go home and make an impact. 20% is not going to cut it. We're not living in a society, come on, that can be completely impacted the way that God wants to impact it by 20%. have all the revival they want to have in Durham. Durham's revival is not going to help Cheyenne. Cheyenne's got to have her revival.
And I'm just using Cheyenne because I'm not picking on you. That's just where we're at tonight. I celebrate what God's doing in LaGrand, Oregon. Jess Parker, it, it's, it's absolutely blowing my mind what God's doing in that little bitty town. To me, it's a testimony to all these people up here in this part of the country. So, I'm telling you, Jess Parker from LaGrand, Oregon is literally reaching the world. Am I telling the truth? All the way. He's got churches overseas that are bigger than the mother church. This man right here stands as a testimony. It's branched all the way out to Arkansas. Am I telling the truth? But what's happening in LaGrand is not enough to make sure it's happening in Pueblo. The percentages. So I started looking. I started trying to find, you okay? Yeah. Reasons. Where, where did the 80% fall through the cracks? We got to do more than just read our Bible. We got to make application. What, what, what was it about Bethany? Where, where does 80%? Where, 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 what are, you know, another place in the Bible says that Bethany was but a Sabbath day church. You weren't able, you, you were commanded not to do anything laborious. On the Sabbath day. If something was a Sabbath day's journey, it was deemed as basically walking across the street and checking the mail. No more. Historians say it was no more than two miles. Fifteen furlongs. Nigh unto Jerusalem. Go. So I've preached around this for years. But it still has been something that's baffled me. I've wrestled with it. It bothers me. As a student of revival, I can't celebrate with the 20% when 80% are, are falling off the map. They're disappearing. They're, not, they're, 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 they're non-existent. I'm not saying that to be offensive. I'm just saying we, God wants us to make a bigger impact. Then we're making, God wants us to make a bigger splash in our cities than what we're making. Please, bro, come on, brush your offenses off tonight. Come on, let, let the word of, it, it may pierce. Come on, the peel may be hard to swallow, but let's receive this here tonight. So I, I have looked at this. Well, I've seen some. I've seen the angels come. In fact, I'm not an angel, but I feel like I have watched the Bible at times. The Bible at times, he, he likens a pastor into an angel. And I feel like we have witnessed this. I feel like pastors have fulfilled the responsibility of the same angel that visited those people in Bethany and said, Stand, why stand ye here gazing? I feel like pastors spend a big majority of their time trying to coax and encourage people to go that. Just, just go, go, go a little further. You're already living godly. You're already separated from the world. I'm telling you, we got so much right. We are fifth. We're, we're not. We're not far from Jerusalem. That's the tragedy of this, brother Keith. Is we're not that far off. I'm not preaching to people for the for for, for the most part. I'm not preaching to people with doctrinal issues. I'm not preaching to people with separation issues. Come on, I, the majority of those that are here, there's a love for holiness and there's a love for separation. The tragedy is, the tragedy is to get within fifteen furlongs. Hallelujah. 
There's a temptation. There's a temptation. There's a temptation in getting swallowed up and just having church. There's a temptation in getting swallowed up and having visions. Come on, and miracles and provision for ourselves and forgetting. Come on, that there's a go in the gospel. Come on, there's a temptation. We want to see miracles. Come on, we want to see, we want to, we want to participate in the miraculous. We want to see dreams and vision. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. There is more to this. Then sweet. You don't build a revival church just on the sweet of the supernatural. There is sweat involved. It's very interesting. When I started putting the time in studying Bethany, where this happened. It's very interesting to me that Bethany was known as the house of dates. D-A-T-E-S. Dates are the oldest, in that part of the country, the oldest fruit. They were known for their antiquity. But dates were also known. Watch now. Watch! Dates were known for their sweetness. But dates were not only known for their sweetness, but dates were very filling. And I've seen us get nigh into Jerusalem because... We can get full on just a good Sunday night service. The sweet of a good. This, boy, wasn't that a powerful tongues and interpretation? And buddy, that's it's sweet. And we just stand there gazing. We got too many gazers and not enough goers. You don't build churches like they're building in Union City. That stuff kind of that stuff doesn't happen by just gazing. But there's a whole lot of our people that are so, they're so near to Jerusalem. But they think somehow they can have Jerusalem's revival in Bethany. They want to build a church in Bethany. They want to build it on the sweet. You can't build a revival church on sweet. There is sweat involved. Come on, I need somebody to help me preach here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's more to building a Jerusalem church than just eating the dessert. There is digging involved. There is battling involved. There is fighting involved. You young people look me deep in the eyes and you hear what I'm telling you. There is no such thing as a painless Pentecost. People want to paint a picture that everything in Pentecost is about pleasure. Let me tell you something. Everything we've got, we've got it because somebody sacrificed. We've got it because somebody prayed. We got it because somebody gave their blood, sweat, and tears. Hallelujah. It's hard for you to understand that with a silver spoon dangling for your mouth and your four and five generations steeped into this. But we're here today not because somebody lived on the sweet, but because somebody was willing to sweat. serenity the plushness they said Bethany was one that people would play Bethany was a place that people would go to retire 
Bethany was a place that they would like to stand on the barren sides of Judean hills and look over into that small community of Bethany because it was lush and beautiful and it looked good to the naked eye. But still, I don't care how good that kind, I don't care how good that kind of stuff looks. I'll never forget the day I called my pastor. Dear God, I'm telling you, it shook me. And I think about it often. I called him on a Monday and started talking to him about the weekend. And I said, how did your Sunday go? And his voice cracked. I'll never forget it. God, it made an impact on me. He said, son, we had good church. If you can have good church and nobody get the Holy Ghost. He said, we had good church. If you can have a good church and nobody get baptized. Lord help us. Lord help us. There's more to this than the drummer being on time and the bass being online and the singers coming in and right and being in key. And being in tune and being on time. There's more to this than a shout beat. Come on. There's more to this. But you know what? You want biblical historians say now the, the irony, and they don't know how to explain this, that over time, over time. Bethany's no longer known for its beauty but Bethany now is a place it's a home to about 20 families it's barren it's known for its crime people go to Bethany it's known low lives live in Bethany the scandalous live in Bethany and I'm telling you come on you try to build a church in Bethany on the lustness the lust of the eye the things that make the flesh feel good you try to build a church on the glow you try to build a church just on the supernatural come on you try to build the church just on the gifts of the spirit and there's no prayer and there's no evangelism it's not long until what looked beautiful will become barren nigh we're too close Azul, to not get there we're too close become spiritual diabetics we're all we want it's pleasure come on you got to share this part with them when God will tell you we want to hear more we want to hear more than just about when one you baptize one and then he makes it and then he becomes the captain over one of your buses. We want to hear about all the weeks you go and you grind and nobody gets the Holy Ghost. We want to hear. We want to hear about the weekends you go get them and all you do is break up fights all weekend. And all you do is send kids home because they're cursing. We want to know why. Because we think that all there is to this is glory. I'm telling you there's a lot of grind. There's a lot of grind. Hallelujah. There's a lot of doors that they don't answer. There's a lot of doors that they slam in your face. There's a lot of people that tell you no thanks. In fact, there's a whole lot more people that tell you no thanks than the ones that accept your invitation. It's the glamour. We're entranced in the glamour. That we forget that the only reason there's glamour, the only reason that there's glory, 
It's because of the grind. Still, that hasn't sufficed me. You got your thinking caps on? Because I'm fixing to go through something quick. I'm hurrying to close. This is what the Lord gave me. Those things fit. They're applicable. But still, that hasn't settled right. It's too close. I see some that settle for the sweet. The sweetness of the supernatural. They're not interested in striving and suffering. To me... One of the most beautiful things about the Apostle Paul is he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the sweet. But the Apostle Paul realized that there's more to this journey than just the sweet. He said, and I might, what? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But fellowship. We've got it flipped backwards. We want to fellowship with him in the power of his resurrection. And we just want to know him in his suffering. We want to keep the suffering at a distance. We don't want we don't want engagement with suffering. We want Pentecost, but we want it painlessly. We want an outpouring, but we don't want a battle. We want a victory. We want dominion, but we don't want to fight devils. We just want to eat dessert. That's all we want to do. We just want to eat dessert. We just want the choir to rock it out on Sunday night. We we just want the choir to rock. We just want to shout. My God, we had another shout. We just, we're all right. Just keep shouting it down. And while we're shouting it down, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And we're, we're okay to eat dessert because we don't want a fellowship in fighting devils. We don't want a fellowship. We don't want a fellowship in people, in people saying irreputable things about us. That we're willing to sit and eat and fellowship with the scum of the earth. You know who Jesus spent his time with? He spent his time with prostitutes. He spent his time with lowlifes. He spent his time with the rejects of society. Some of you are so holy, you wouldn't even have gone to one of his rallies. We don't want to know him in his suffering. We don't want to fellowship with him in his suffering. We don't know him in his suffering. Just know him in his suffering. Just keep it at his distance. I'm closing. Listen, but yet this still didn't suffice. So I got to thinking. We're dabbing in 380. It's not far. They could have made that journey. What happened to them? Let's look at this. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the day of Pentecost because it was the 50th day. It was the culmination of 50 days. Their most festive time of the year was the Feast of Pentecost. They celebrated the coming out of Egypt. They celebrated the law given on Sinai. And they celebrated the harvest of that year. 
first fruits of the harvest. It was festive. It was jovial. There was great celebration. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on them in the upper room when the day of Pentecost fully come. For that was day 15. Okay, watch me. Day 15. Now, we don't know exactly, but most theologians agree that they tarried in that upper room seven to ten days. There's actually some that believe even 14. We're going to round up just for the purpose of understanding. I'm, this is not, I'm not making my statement. This is what I believe. We're just going to use the number 10. We, we, most of us here agree, seven to 14 days. Most, most hang around a week. That's what most tend to lean to believe in. They tarried there. What are they doing there? They're repenting. They're washing one another's feet. They're praying. They're choosing. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're putting things in place. They're positioning themselves. They've got their mind on him. Okay. Let's use, the, let's say they were in there 10 days. Okay. All right, let's back it up. If they were in there 10 days, the day of Pentecost is day 50. Let's back it up 10 days. That means that they were in Bethany on day 40 to day 43. Watch me now. Now, typically, everyone came to Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. But before you came to Jerusalem, day 50 was the culmination. It was the closing of harvest. So when you came to Pentecost, you had your harvest cut. You had your harvest housed. And you were finished in time, Sister Elder according to the Old Testament law, to allow the widows to come in and glean the corners of the field. Okay? Now watch. This is what I propose to you. I feel like this is what happened. If they're in Bethany on day 40, you say, you say I'm at 14 school. Okay, day 36 to day 43, wherever you're at in there. If they're in Bethany at that point, they've got a week, they've got 10 days until Pentecost. I guarantee you, knowing the patterns of people, knowing our proclivities, knowing our penchant to be procrastinators, I guarantee you there was harvest laying in fields. There were barns that were unrepaired. There, there was harvest that was cut that had not been winnowed. It, there, there, was, there was harvest that had been winnowed that had not been brought back down from the high place and put away. There were those that were not, they were not ready for the widows. God have mercy, Jesus. And as powerful as his last commission was, and as close as they were to an outpouring in Jerusalem, when the, when the air, when the, when, when, when the moment, when the mysticism, come on, when they broke out of the gaze of this supernatural moment, although they were just 15 furlongs from an outpouring, it started dawning on them how much was left undone. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me, I believe, and let me know that the biggest reason that the percentages are off is because people are not willing to be inconvenienced. We've got to fix the barn. I'd love to go to Jerusalem. I 
I'd, I'd love to go to Jerusalem. That was powerful. Dear God, that tongue's an interpretation. That Sunday night service, my God, that was powerful. I'd love to see 50 people get the Holy Ghost. But we wear so many hats. And we've got so many irons in the fire. And we have obligated ourselves. The Holy Ghost several years ago smote me. And he said, your problem. He said, your problem is you have made yourself too accessible. You are too accessible. We cannot be so accessible to things that are not eternal. God cannot speak to us because we are distracted. Hallelujah. I was in a service just a few weeks ago. And after a Sunday morning service, Johnny King walked to the pulpit. And he said, I wonder how many people in this church will turn their phones off right now and not turn them back on until after church that night. I, I, I can't tell you. I've never felt anything before that in my, and like that in my life. As good as that church is. Come on. Social media. Come on. And everything at the, the access of the touch of the finger has become such a part. When he came back and told me what he had asked those people to do. I, I, I physically, I physically could feel in my body, ladies and gentlemen, you better understand, it's not just the contents of what we're looking at. It's how much time we are spending distracted by things, things that have our attention, that have no eternal value. I'd love to go to Jerusalem, but I still got to patch the roof on the barn. I'd love to be a part. Of a Jerusalem outpouring. But the widows are coming and I got harvest land in the field. Only 120 said, nothing else matters. You know who's having revival? I'll tell you the ones that are having revival. You say, I can't spend 100 grand. And I had to twist and pull that out of Johnny Godair. But when I finally got it out of him, I sat stunned with my mouth gaping open when he told me he spent $100,000 a year, that year, just in fuel and the maintenance of buses and vans. You say, Brother Marks, I can't spend 100000 No, but you could spend 1000 But you won't. But you won't. Too many other places that money's got to go. Got to fix the barn. Got to fix this. Got to do that. Got to be here. Got to go over there. And we've got our hands in so many things that we're nigh unto Jerusalem. We've got so much right. Fifteen furlongs. We're that close. Thank you for preaching that today. The Holy Ghost has always, the outpouring sister elder has always fallen on prayers. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, it will not be any different in this last day revival. I will pour out my spirit on people that have positioned themselves to pray. If we think we can have a Jerusalem revival on a program. Oh, you got you to kick them out by 9 o'clock. Oh, go ahead. You just go ahead and hide behind all your masks. Give me that little Baptist knot if you want. You know the pressures we've succumbed to. People got to work. Kids got to go to school. You wonder why they had revivals in the brush harbors? I'll tell you why. They had to work the next morning. The kids, you, 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 the kids had school. They didn't even have a, they didn't have a car to get back and forth. They rode wagons and walked. They weren't worried about being inconvenienced. 
We're scared to death to call night prayer meetings. I don't know where it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to put a toll on my on me and my, my family. In fact, I I, I just maybe it's maybe I don't, I'm not sure where it's going to happen. How God's going to work it out? Because I'm supposed to be with my family. But I'm telling you, I believe that something's coming where revival is going to break out in places, and we're going to have church twenty and thirty nights in a row. That's fine. You don't have to believe that. You you don't have to believe that. Well, we don't have to have church. <laughs> All right, you go fix your barn. You go work your extra 20 hours so you can live in a little bigger house and drive a little nicer car. And we'll try to build a church in Bethany. Just 15 furlongs from fire. We're 15 furlongs from fire. And we're trying to have church in the smoke. We're 15 furlongs. From fire, and we're trying to build a revival on Jerusalem smoke. That if the wind blows hard enough, it'll get over to us. I'll be inconvenienced. I'm telling you, the spirit of that demoniac is on the loose. Let us alone. Let us alone. I'm going to tell you something. That's demonic. We can dress it up. We can pin it up. We can call it whatever we want to call it. But when we get so carnal that we put off, we put our pastors and preachers in a position where they're afraid, security-wise, they're afraid to put pressure on us because constantly they're met with a, what do we have to do with him? Let us alone. We're here, aren't we? You know how many times I've dealt with this? The, the times I've preached this in the past, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel people feedback, like, we're here, we're here. I'm telling you, Bethany may still have green grass. And there may still be a vision or prophecy that comes every once in a while. And it may be sweet and filling. But we're going to wake up one day to a rude awakening when Bethany becomes barren. And we realize that close wasn't close enough. They weren't willing to be inconvenienced. We're, we're, we're in trouble. And the reason that we're in trouble is because the smoke is no longer thick from the altars of the elders and the sacrifice of the past. We have operated for so long in the smoke of someone else's sacrifices. We're in trouble. When the smoke of their sacrifices dissipates, we're going to realize how barren Bethany is. You know good and well, you know good and well, you haven't poured the sweat that your parents poured. 
you know good and well that gradually, generationally, gradually, we give up little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. You don't get this just because you want it. And you don't get this just because it was promised to you. You will receive this when you make up in your mind that you're willing to be inconvenienced to have it. You know why two half-tribes settled on Jordan? Because they could leave the giant fighting to their brothers and still go over there and eat their grapes. And you know why we've idolized the types of Johnny Godair? You know why we put them on a pedestal? Because we don't want to pay the prices that they've paid to have what they have. It's easier to talk about their revivals. And we'll live on the banks of the Jordan and we'll go in and eat their grapes because we don't want to fight their giants. Rick Mayo's blowing Washington up. He is literally blowing Spokane, Washington up. But I refuse to live on the banks of the Jordan and just go in there and eat his grapes because I don't want to fight his giants. You weren't there at the, when the biggest tithe pair in his church stood him off face to face when he only had a handful of people and said, if you'll back off preaching some of that stuff, we'll stay. And Rick couldn't afford for them to leave. But he stood his ground. And Rick Mayo's eating the grapes that he's eating today because he's fought the giants. And he's fought. You don't know what Jess and Robin Parker's gone through. guys and thankful, thankfully we've got them Brother Walters, thank, thankfully they're there, but I don't just want to walk, I just want, I don't want to live on the banks of the Jordan and just go in there and eat their grapes and never ask what kind of giants they had to fight to be able to eat those kind of grapes and I don't say this to bring shame to anybody God's turning it but you don't know you don't know the pressure on a mama when you've given your life to a city and at one point, not even one. You know how many days Robin got up and faced the fact that not even one of her kids, not even one, live for God. A mom wants to be in the size of those kind of giants. But if you're going to eat the size of the grapes that they're eating, you got to be willing to be inconvenienced to fight the size of the giants that they fought. And I promise you, every man that stands in this pulpit, and any pulpit you've ever been privileged of sitting in, and you sit there with your mouth gaping open at the power of his anointing, let me tell you something. As you eat his grapes, remember, he's fought some giants. 
as big as the grapes that you're eating. You don't know the hell that man's been through. It costs something to build a church. You hear me? It costs something. It'll cost you your life. It costs you your life. It's worth it. I want the Holy Ghost to know on the second night of this meeting that whatever that means, being willing to be inconvenienced. You know what? I want you guys to look deep me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes. I'm close. I've gone long, and I'm sorry. We weren't close, but late in life, there was a little weird deal that happened with my son and J.T. Pugh. We happened to be in the same place at the same time. We made a little connection. I'm thankful that little window opened that little door. We had a little relationship after that. The last time I talked to him on the phone, we were going to hang up, and he said, Brother Marks, let me say one more thing to you. I said, what's that, Elder? He said, there's something I want you to do. I said, I'll be glad. He said, there's a dying, there's a dying message in Pentecost, and it's not doctrine, and it's not holiness. He said, the dying message in Pentecost is the call of God. And he said, if you do it for me, he said, anytime God opens the door, he said, would you lay yourself over the dying body of the call of God and try to resuscitate it? I can't get away from the fact. I walked in and told my wife it was on me so thick. He was, in, he was in position to take the family business. Not everybody owned a field. Not everybody owned a team of oxen. But just the brush of a man's mantle and a man's anointing. And a man was willing to boil the oxen and burn the plow and turn his back on the family business. To wash the hands of another man. Seven years and hundreds of miles. Elisha was willing to walk away from the security of a family business. To walk with Elijah through the seasons of suffering. Do you realize that Elijah, I'm talking to you right now, but there's something coming. God has watched if you, as you stood and you and your wife have walked along the side of Elijah in your life. God's watched that. Elisha stood next to him when he was mocked. Elisha stood next to him. The things that people give up to wash the hands of their leaders. You hear me? I'm prophesying to you right now, Dwayne Uzzle. The very reason that you're seeing the things that have, that your ministry's fixing to explode. You hear? You hear me? You're fixing to go places and do things you never imagined. But the reason is, there, you could have done anything. You could have, you could have been anybody. You could have gone anywhere. You've got a degree. You could have been anything. But you boiled the oxen. And you burned the plow. And you said, I want, I want to wash the hands of my dad. And I want, I, want, I want to be a part of his vision. And I want what he wants. You say, Brother Marks. You say, Brother Marks, it was about the power. It was about the plan. It was, it was, it was about the mandate. It was, it was about the mission. No, it wasn't. It was about the man. Yeah. 
And we live in a generation of people that have become so selfish that they're not willing to get involved in the visions and the dreams of other men. Do you realize before Joseph ever seen his own dreams come to pass that he played a part in somebody else's dreams? Nobody, nobody wants to be a part of the supporting cast. You can't, you cannot have a flow of a story without a supporting cast. Nobody. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you to forsake college. I'm not, I'm just telling you. Where's the generation? Where's the generation that wants Jerusalem so bad? They're willing to boil the oxen and burn the plow. You realize you're burning all possibilities. Do you where where? Do you realize what apostolic is and at its roots is? The, an apostle, apostolic. Look at it at its roots. They walked away from business. Luke was a doctor. Matthew served in a position which was very lucrative. They walked away. Everything. And I'm realizing that to be an apostle and to really be apostolic, you've got to be willing to abandon everything else. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Nothing. I refuse to get within 15 furloughs of God turning my city upside down and hang on to a stupid second job or hang on to some stupid career that I think I need to have. Come on. Or just because I want to fatten my wallet and live a little more comfortable. Total abandonment. Why they can have revival in Ethiopia? Because they don't have anything keeping them from being inconvenienced. (laughs) They don't have anything that's preoccupying their time. Eighty percent of our churches, eighty percent of our people. What do you think happened to ninety percent of the dear lepers? I tell you what happened. It happens to all of us. It's easy. Once we get what we need, we jump right back into the rat race of life. Lord help us. 
Why did that man, why did that man lay there on the porch 38 years and not have a man to help him get in? He had witnessed 38 miracles. You know why? Come on, it's natural humanity. We get what we need. We get our miracle. God meets our need and we just get right back into the business and the rat race of life and we forget about everybody else that's laying on the porches. Not one of those 38 miracles that ever showed up. Why? It's the same reason the nine they went back to their family, went back to life. Preoccupation, business. told me about a couple a young man that wanted to be a dentist his entire life almost done with school and he got into service like this and he boiled the oxen and he burned the plow and Tuttle said there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing that mom that young man later if I got the story just right, come back to him after another service. And said, Brother Tuttle, I can't remember the country they were going to, but said all the finances are in place. I'm not, I'm not going to be a dentist. I'm going to the mission field. He bowled the oxen. serving your dad and what's going to happen is men God's going to give you men that will serve your vision just like you served his that's how that works you don't go wrong You can use anything, Lord. We've been singing that course a lot over the last couple of years. Come to keyboard, whoever's doing that. Whatever you're doing in this season, please don't do it without me. If what you're doing is in Jerusalem, Lord, don't let me be don't let me get don't let me be guilty of coming within fifteen furlongs of it. You're doing it in Jerusalem. Don't let me be guilty. I'm getting as close as 15 furlongs. Nine. Nine. But not there. It's coming. It's coming. It may just come on 20% again. We repeat history. If we just read it and we don't learn from it, we just repeat it. It's coming. There's an outpouring coming.
God sent a preacher to you because he's trying to avoid the travesty of 80%. Lost. 